Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Liverpool review episode, and it's brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review. He is a man who wears many hats these days. He is one of the hosts of the excellent Napoli rant on the Far From Vesuvius network, which has been growing in content. There are a couple relatively new shows on the network in the shadow of Vesuvio, and from N to I. He's also been a very gracious contributor to our website, Forza Napoli Press. Rafa Rispo, welcome back. Yama, yama, ngopa, yamaya. Yama, yama, ngopa, yamaya. Funiculi, funicula, funiculi, funicula. Ngopa, yamaya, funiculi, funicula. Joe, I've been in a singing mood ever <laughs> since yesterday, and... I have to say, every time I listen to you, I just love the opening of yours. And, and all it is is the musical to that. And it just gets me in the mood every time I listen. Win, lose, or draw. So um, thanks for the intro, but you are the man, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for that. I mean, I think we're all smiling this morning. Every Napoli fan around the planet is smiling. We've all probably watched the game two or three or four times. Who knows? I mean, it's one of those games that you hope it's available forever because it's it's one that we can go back and it will always be entertained. If we ever need a pick-me-up, that's a game to watch. So let's uh, get right into it. As you know, Napoli won the match 4-1 to on goals from Piotr Zielinski, who scored a brace. Andre Frank Zambuangisa and Giovanni Simeone. Luis Diaz scored the lone goal for Liverpool in the second half. I want to start with some general thoughts on the match, and then in part two, we'll get to some individual performances. 
Rafa, in the first half hour of the match, we had five or six chances. We had Osiman hit the upright. We had the penalty from Zelinsky, the penalty from Osiman. Kavada had a clear chance. And then there was the Angisa goal. Were you expecting such a fast start from Napoli? No, no, I was not. Napoli tend to start a little slower. I think that that's the way it's been, you know, probably besides the Monza game this season. I was expecting them to kind of feel their way into the match. I really wasn't expecting what we saw. I mean, from minute one, we just gave it to them. The first two minutes, Osiman steals the ball from Joe Gomez on the right, takes it in and hits the bar, you know, or the outside of the post. Then the penalty kick, then Osiman again stealing the ball and taking it down for what I thought would have been a pretty clear shot but then lays it up for Kvada. I mean, the Angisa goal, like you said, the penalty miss. We could have been up 5-0 in the first 30 minutes, and it was just, I mean, I couldn't stop smiling. I don't remember the last time I smiled throughout the whole, the whole match, but needless to say, the whole first half hour of the match. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think that was all of us. Probably a mix of joy and just disbelief <laughs> at what we were witnessing. I certainly was not expecting it. You know, in our preview, I predicted a low scoring draw. So I could not have been more <laughs> off with that one. But, you know, I thought both managers were going to take a conservative approach. I thought Klopp was going to play conservative ahead of what's a big match. I mean, Wolverhampton is not a huge club, but because Liverpool have had such a slow start in the Premier League, they're desperate to get wins there. So I thought maybe he would have played a conservative in this one. You know, it's the first match of the group stage. There's a long way to go. It's an away match against a tough opponent. And then I was expecting Spalletti to be conservative just because historically he's tended to take a conservative approach against bigger clubs. Like if we think back to say the Inter match last season where, you know, as fans, we're all hoping and praying that they just go after it like they did in this one. And instead they just kind of, sit back and play defensive play for a draw. So that was great to see. I think we do have to give Spalletti some credit, though, for preparing these players mentally. They just did not seem scared at all. And one of the questions that Spalletti and Di Lorenzo were asked in the pre-match conference was whether it would be a benefit to have all these young new players that are eager to show their worth. And I think that proved to be the case. One thing that seemed to work very much in our favor was Liverpool's high line. Do you think Klopp got his tactics wrong? Perhaps he underestimated the pace of Osiman and Kavada? I do. I'm wondering if Klopp had the idea that this is a new Napoli, had the idea that this was, you know, not the Napoli that he's played before. Uh, you know, he himself has gone to the San Paolo slash Maradona three times before and lost all three. And I don't, I mean, prior to yesterday, they haven't had a goal. You know, uh, Borussia Dortmund in 2013, then, you know, the last two Champions Leagues that we were in, the two group stages, the 1-0 and the 2-0. But all of those teams had, you know, Lorenzo Insigne, Dries Mertens, Koulibaly, Callejon, you know, the stalwarts, the old guard. And now I think that he came in thinking, OK, these are new players. They might be pretty dynamic. They might. Be, I mean, I'm not going to say he didn't do his homework, but maybe he's a little preoccupied in the league as well. 
you know, so he's got, uh, I mean, he made some really weird decisions in leaving a couple of big names out of the squad completely for Europe. I think one was um, Oxlade Chamberlain, who I think was uh, hurt, but uh, the other one was another big name. Oh gosh, his name Darwin uh, Nunez, that striker. He started well, Nunez didn't start on the on the pitch. He started in the bench, yeah. but he left he left another big name out of the squad completely. But yeah, I don't know what what it is about Klopp at the Maradona, but he hasn't gotten it right. He still didn't get it right yesterday. Keeping a high line against such a, a dynamic forward line in Kvada and Osimhen, and that was a big key too. I went on the uh, the Anfield wrap, and we talked about the new players. And then I spoke to the Liverpool echo and I mentioned that Ossiman's potential injury could hinder Napoli. If he wasn't starting, I think the fact that um, these players are new to Klopp and just didn't really, wasn't really familiar to him made him think, okay, we can start with a high press and get an early goal and then make them come at us. But that's not the way you play Napoli. If you do your homework. Yeah, that's well said. I think Klopp was asked about, this in his post-match conference and he said you need a high line to play compact and that a high line is only a problem if you're not pressing the opponent well and he said he couldn't remember a single opportunity to counter press in the match which is a big part of Liverpool's style of play now that may have been the case after Zielinski opened the scoring because the game really opened up after that first goal and he's right Liverpool did not look compact at all but we had two excellent scoring opportunities in the first five minutes of the match. So I still think the pace of Osimhen and Kabata caught him off guard a little bit. Right. And you would think that you see, you know, those things happening in the first five minutes, you'd probably revert back to a little bit. You know, I, I would imagine Klopp has the ability to instruct his players. Okay. Forget the high line. Let's play, you know, a different style. Let's switch it up, you know? But Joe Gomez was dreadful. So was um, was it Trent Alexander Arnold on the other side? Yeah, even Van Dyke wasn't. Van Dyke was not good. Yeah. You know, he gave up the foul on Osimhen. What he did do well was cover Kvaratskhelia's open net shot. But that's about it. Heading into this match, we all knew that Liverpool was struggling in the league. But I felt like this was a this is still Liverpool, you know, and it's basically what I told the echo. I said, this is still Liverpool, whether they're struggling or not. European Knights are European Knights. The only thing that I feel that they may have going against them is they're playing at the Maradona, which is sold out. And that's a scary place to play, you know, on a European night. Yeah. A few people asked me before the match, what result I would be happy with. And I kind of said the same thing. It was like, look, I know we have a lot of things going in our favor. I know Liverpool's had a rough start to the season. I know they struggle at the Maradona, let alone with 55,000, 60,000 people there. But I still would have been happy with a draw. <laughs> so, you know, and it's for that reason. It's it's still Liverpool. Yeah, you know, I don't know how much coverage you've seen sort of post-match. In his post-match conference, Klopp naturally focused on what his... I mean, he acknowledged Napoli a couple of times that Napoli played well, but he was mostly focused on what Liverpool did not do too well. Of course, the English coverage, all they talked about was the way Liverpool played and less about how Napoli played. Do you think that maybe we need to be talking a little bit more about how Napoli played compared to just... like Some of the coverage almost made it feel like we won just because Liverpool played poorly, and I don't think that's particularly fair. 
No, it's not. And I and you know I generally like the coverage in the state. I'm not 100% sure what coverage you guys have up there, but we have CBS Sports and it's uh K Abdo and then a couple of ex players. This time it was Henri, Jamie Carragher, big Liverpool guy, and uh they brought in American forward. His name is escaping me, put me on the spot here, but I guess Jamie Carragher looking at Liverpool He's a big Liverpool guy. He's a big fan. How can I put this, Joe? I don't know. For me, it seems like when in English language setup is going to look at the English teams and say what went wrong instead of what did Napoli do right. I mean, they might touch on it here and there, but Napoli fans get very upset with, you know, thinking that they're overlooked. I just think it's natural. I don't think you're going to hear a lot of Italian Neapolitan reports on how bad Liverpool played. Rather, you're going to talk about how great Napoli played, you know, so it's a two way street, I think. But for CBS Sports to be a uh, neutral, sort of neutral space, they could have covered a little bit more of how Napoli played. I mean, Thierry Henry was over the moon about Kvaratskhelia, so that's a plus. Actually, the American, who I still can't. <laughs> Come on, Joe, help me out. He was an American striker, played in Europe, just finished Prince playing. Dempsey? No, it wasn't Dempsey. It was the next guy after him. Anyway, he was Maradona was his favorite player growing up, and he he really liked how Kvaratskhelia was playing, too. He called him Kvaradona as well. But, yeah, the coverage could go more towards how – like, like if Napoli continue to play like this in the Champions League, they can go far, and I think that should be – the attention should be brought to that. You know, uh, so one of the, um, well, I think it was who scored.com only gave a man of the, you know, of the round to Angisa and overlooked that Zielinski had two goals and assist overlooked that Kvartskalia had two in, insane. I think one was recorded as an assist, but two insanely amazing contributions to goal and near misses. You know, the fact that Kim played out of his mind, met it was sensational, you know, I think we need to look a little bit more. I think the world needs to look a little bit more about outside of English teams and look more into these teams that are beating the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea, Dino Marzaga beat Chelsea, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it frustrates me a bit, but I'm okay because at the end of the day, we got the W and uh, that's all that matters. I don't know if CBS had their own commentators for that one, but in Canada, the the zone coverage was called by uh, Rob Palmer and Tony DeRigo. And I think Palmer typically does English matches, so he was pretty focused on on the Liverpool side of things. Dorigo does some Serie A, so he was a bit more knowledgeable on Napoli. But at one point during the match, I think Palmer said, you know, if you woke up and or if you, you didn't follow the day's news and you saw that Chelsea had sacked Tuchel and Liverpool were losing 4-1 to to Napoli, you would have thought maybe this is an, an April Fool's joke or something like that. And so it just came off as a little bit like the, the way he was talking about Napoli was as if we were some, you know, seventh, eighth division or, right. or ranked country. Which well, On I, the contrary, though, Joe, going on the Liverpool uh, or the Anfield rap, they gave us nothing but respect. I listened to the appearance that I was on and the gentleman, Josh, giving me the questions. All he did was really read me questions, but I went back to listen and the hosts of the show started out by saying, this is the worst match possible to start. You know, they gave us the respect that we deserved. Liverpool did. And I think that a lot of Liverpool pundits really did realize that this is not a walk in the park. It's not going to be pretty. And here we were thinking, you know, well, Napoli, 
are historically amazing against Liverpool at the Maradona. And a small part of me in the back of my mind thought this is going to be the match where we give up the goal. We lose two, three, one, you know, even though I predicted three, one to the Anfield rap, <laughs> which I got a little joke cracked to me about that, but Hey, look how it turned out. But like you said, most of the major pundits out there will focus on how Liverpool played bad. But even listening to the post-match on the Anfield rap, which I did this morning before the appearance, they just had nothing but the best things to say about Napoli and obviously focusing on Liverpool's poor performance because they are Liverpool content. But they had to at least start off with, wow, Napoli were legit. And they did call us the first real test that they had you know i know they beat manchester united but when they beat manchester united it was headed towards banter era well we're, we're in banter era but it was not a good start for them and the competition like you said in your last show hasn't really been strong enough for liverpool even the you know three straight clean sheets but it wasn't good enough test for liverpool and this was the first one so they've at least given us that you know respect yeah, and also I listened to the uh, Guardian Football Weekly this morning, and they even allowed Nicky Bandini to speak about Napoli first before they then sort of broke down what went wrong for Liverpool. So credit to those guys as well. The last thing I want to talk about in part one is Spalletti's changes. In the Lazio match, he replaced Cavada and Zielinski with Raspadori and Elmas in the 68th minute, and we were under a lot of pressure in the final quarter of the match. In this match, he replaced Cavada and Politano with Zerbin and Lozano in the 57th minute, and Liverpool controlled the run of play for most of that second half, uh, or at least you know from the Luis Diaz goal onward. Is that something to be concerned about, or is this just good squad management from Spalletti? No, I think it's good squad management. I do believe that Spalletti knows how his team is better how to keep a, a good shape and uh you know listen he's a he's an underrated manager even when he came in i i didn't think that it was the best move you know i was pro gattuso everybody knows that and it's not that i didn't rate him before i just didn't think he'd be a good fit with us but at the same time he has a pedigree he does he hasn't won the league he had you know our league anyway he's won the russian league a few times and but he knows how to manage a squad and do a great job. And his thing is he's got to sustain that for the rest of the season. But yeah, I lean towards more towards Spalletti's good management of the club. I mean, he rotated the team where I thought against Lecce was way too much rotation. But at the same time, it got the team primed for Lazio and Liverpool now, you know. And we have Spezia coming up at 9 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. You know, it's only three days after the Liverpool match, so I expect rotation and I expect it to be heavy because then we have Rangers and then we have Milan. So credit to Spalletti. I mean, we can complain about the Lecce draw all we want, and those kind of results usually come back and bite us you know where later on, but at least it was a draw and we're, you know, we're we're looking pretty good. I think Spalletti can manage this club pretty well. I agree. I think it was definitely about squad management. I would have been very surprised if Spalletti used a guy like Zerbin if we were not up by three goals or, you know, if we weren't playing every three or four days. A lot of people were critical of Lozano's play. I was surprised he even played at all after that head to head collision in the Lazio match. And some people weren't happy that Cavada was taken out so early. Zielinski was on a hat trick, but 
I think it was smart management from Spalletti because it means that we'll have more of a squad available for the Spezia match. Even if we do rotate, these guys will be more fresh coming off the bench if we need to use them. You know, in our preview, I suggested that we might see Oliveira. I was still a little bit surprised by that decision. I thought that was a bit of a bold decision to throw him into a tough match like that. Mario Rui is sort of the, the guy we tend to lean on. So it really does seem like Spalletti is confident in the squad that he has. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about some individual performances. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Okay, let's move on to some individual performances. There are so many different players that we could start with, but I think I want to start with the midfield. You mentioned Piotr Zielinski being left off of a couple of these rating sites. He scored Napoli's first and last goal in this match. He assisted on the second goal, which earned him man of the match honors, even if he didn't make it onto some of those lists. How impressed were you with his performance and just with his start to the season in general? I'm very impressed and I'm I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because I know he has it in him. He's a world-class midfielder, in my opinion. He had a bad season last season. So a lot of people writing him off was wrong. And, you know, I truly believe COVID really did get the best of him. And it can mess with your mind as much as it messes with you physically. Zielinski getting off to the start that he has been is not a surprise. But it's, it's like a new signing all over again. You know, he just knows where to be. He knows what shots to take. He knows where to pass. That one-two with him and, and Angisa was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now we know he can take penalty kicks too. I just think that Zielinski playing the way he's playing could be the factor along with the rest of the midfield in where we end up this season or not. And, um, you know, I think our shouts to selling him in the summer were just sort of like a, uh, a cry for more money to get some of these players in. But I think we sold the right midfielder when it comes down to it, Joe, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we don't seem to be missing Fabian a whole lot with the way, not just that Zielinski is playing, but Angisa and Lobotka as well. I thought Zielinski took his penalty kick really well. We'll talk about Osimhen shortly, but I think that may have settled the debate on who should be taking the penalties or at least narrowed it down to maybe Zelinsky and Cavada. The assista and Gisa was as cool as it gets. He was literally walking on the play when he played that return pass, but it was perfectly weighted. And then he was very calm with how he took his uh, second goal, chipping it over Allison after he made a, you know, a burst forward to join the attack and then got a decent first shot off as well. Sorry, I mentioned that Angisa goal it was his first goal of the season in his first ever Champions League match, I believe. I tweeted after the goal that few players deserved a goal more than he did. He was just phenomenal in this match. He was. He was. And Angisa has earned beast of the match on the Napoli rant in more than one occasion. And for this match, he got it as well. And I could see him being beast of the season for us, man. Like he at 15 million uncontested, 
I mean, there's not a signing that was more important, I believe, than keeping Angisa on this midfield. And I can't say enough great things about him. Everybody noticed his great play on every platform that I've heard so far. And yeah, man, it was his first goal, you know, in Napoli. I believe he only scored a couple of goals for the Spanish team that he was on. I can't remember right now if it was Villarreal or if it might have been Villarreal, but he he only scored a few goals in his club career, you know, and a couple with Cameroon. But, you know, to score with a big club like Napoli in the Champions League, I mean, you saw the emotion in his face when he scored. And it was just sort of like, the cherry on top of the cake for his hard work because you know he's trying to get that goal he's been trying to get that first goal he'll take a few erratic shots from outside the box here and there but the hole that the defense left him was just bigger than the grand canyon and he went right through it and uh the vision to do that was just phenomenal he's he's going to be an important player for this team as well Absolutely. I think he might have hit the upright on one or two occasions already this season as well. So it's certainly well-deserved. With all the players that we brought in this summer, I think it's easy to overlook how important that decision to redeem him from Fulham was. And I even was a little bit worried that De Laurentiis might squeeze the penny a little too much and and not redeem him. So I think we're all very happy that he did. Besides the goal, which was a very tidy finish, he made a, a number of good plays in this match. He Played the through ball to Osimen on the play that led to the penalty kick. He made some really important tackles in the midfield. It seemed like whenever Liverpool started pushing forward to get back into the match, whether it was Angisa or Lobotka, one of them was breaking up the attack. They just dominated that midfield, which was something I think we all kind of viewed as a potential advantage for us with all the injuries that Liverpool have in their midfield. And Gisa played the full 90 minutes once again. So he's played all but five minutes of Napoli's matches this season. The only players who have played more than him are Meret, Kim, and Di Lorenzo. Should we be concerned that Spalletti might be relying on him a little too heavily? Uh, we could probably be concerned about that. Like I said, I'm expecting a turnover for the next match. And I think Angisa might be the one that should sit. I think he should at least start the match on the bench or maybe play the first 45 instead of the second or, you know, one of the two halves. I think there should be a little bit of rest for a lot of the guys and Angisa being one of them. And I wouldn't be upset if that were to happen. The only thing is, is can we manage a match without him? And the same goes for Lobotka, you know, can we manage to come away with points Without him, I know we're home for this one, and it's a you know it's still a league match. You know we need to, you know, win as much of those as we need to. But at the same time, we've got bigger games coming up too, so I wouldn't be upset if he gets a little bit of a rest. At the same time, I am digging that we're relying on a set starting eleven with everybody kind of knowing their role and being happy with their role as well. So um, it remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. I'm for giving some of these guys a rest too. I think it'll get easier as the season goes on and a guy like Ndombele gets more up to speed. I think he still has, you know, he had a a few rough outings, but it was so early in his time at Napoli that we have to give him more time. So hopefully... He'll get up to it, and then that'll allow the other midfielders to recover a bit. I think this match was confirmation for a couple of players that they made the right choice with Napoli as their club. Angisa was one of them. 
Simeone came off the bench and scored with his first kick of the match. We all saw the interview that he did when he was at Hellas Verona, where he talked about how when he was 13 or 14 years old, he got a Champions League tattoo because his dream was to score a goal in the Champions League and kiss the tattoo. That was a really beautiful moment in this match. It was. (laughs) I'm not ashamed to admit that it brought me to a tear here and there. I knew the story beforehand. I knew how much the Champions League meant to Giovanni Simeone. Him and his father, Argentines, you know, and uh, you're an Argentinian. You were going to worship Maradona. So what better situation than to score three minutes after coming on (laughs) to make it 3-0 in the first half for Napoli at the packed Maradona. Everybody screaming your name. And he made good on his promise to his parents that when he gets the first goal, he's going to kiss the tattoo, right? Right where kind of where his hand, you know, the bottom of his hand meets his forearm is right where the tattoo is, right where my dad's Napoli tattoo is actually. And, um, you know, you can see him kiss it and just wincing in tears. You can see him crying on the ground. And and it was just a magnificent moment. Uh, a couple of moments made me a little emotional this weekend or, or yesterday. And that was the first one. And uh, I even tweeted, oh, my God, I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> and uh, he's, I-, I tell you what, he's a special player and he deserves it. And I knew he'd come through for us in some way, shape or form you know, at some point this season. And there you go. How, how better of a way to do it at the Maradona and your first Champions League match, your first three minutes, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Another one of those moments was probably when the camera cut to Dries Mertens wearing the uh, Vuittoni yes, <laughs> yes. shirt in the crowd. Yes. Another one was, uh, I think it was Rahmani's tweet of him sitting in the middle of everybody with Tommy on, on the side too, Tommy Starace. And yeah, I came across the photo on my phone. I looked up to the family and I just was like, I just start tearing up. I said, you guys have to see this. And they're like, Whoa, what's the matter? <laughs> Thinking, you know, something bad happened. And I show them that. And they all just was just like, Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, and I know we're getting away from the subject at hand, but part of me, Obviously, most of me, all of me wants Mertens on this team and wanted him to stay. But part of me yesterday felt like this was right. You know what I mean? That he's making good on his promise to remain a fan of the club, remain the son of the city, and he's gone, but he's back when he gets a chance to come see Napoli at the Champions League against Liverpool. You know, it made it whole. It made it right. You know what I mean? And to watch him with a Maradona kit with his wife and the kid, it just was a magical moment. That Yesterday was a magical day, Joe. It just was. We kind of got a little bit of closure there that he may be no longer a part of the squad, but he's still Neapolitan. He's mm-hmm. still a fan of the club. I mean, he was screaming Simeone yes uh, you yes know, along with everyone else that was there and and that I mean I guess Raspadori is sort of the true replacement for Mertens but those two guys are basically replacing Mertens and Patania so yeah that was a beautiful moment as well now Simeone replaced Osimen, who was taken out about five minutes before the break we knew he was at risk of missing this match due to a muscle injury Spalletti said after the match that Osimhen will not be available for the Spezia match. Oma Akatugba, who you've had on your show a couple of times, first reported that after the match that Osimhen was fine. But then on Thursday, he said that Victor will be out for about two weeks. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but do you think it was worth the risk playing Victor in this match? 
Uh, worth the risk? Maybe not. But was I upset to see him in the starting 11? No. I think that everything went the way it was supposed to go. I think Victor might have known he might not have been ready for this, but the first match in the Champions League, I don't think he was going to miss. Uh, and I admire that about Aussie men. And I, I admire a lot of things about Aussie men. His unselfishness when it comes to, you know, that breakaway that he had uh, where he left it off for Karatskelia. And a lot of people at the moment, you know, when you look back, you think, okay, he didn't have a great angle. But a lot of people trying to like, like, like yelling at the televisions, like, shoot, shoot, shoot the ball, Tita. And instead leaving it to Kvaratskhelia. To me, he's done that since he's been here. And he just seems like the, one of the most unselfish forwards I've ever seen. But also just his will, his determination, his drive, his ability to. And his will to want to give the contribution that he can. You know, I, I don't know if he went into this match thinking I'm going to get 90, 90 minutes. I'm going to score three goals. I'm going to hit the, I don't even think he was, knew he was going to hit the penalty because when he was taking the penalty, you know, even my son Rocco was like, uh, he's going to miss this. I don't, I can see it in his eyes. He's just, and that's when you kind of think that, you know what, something's up with this guy. So something's going on. Was it the smartest thing to do? Maybe not, but if it doesn't happen, maybe we see a different game. Who knows? You know, I think it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And when he got with Oma after the game and Oma saying that he's good, he's fine. You know, if he's only going to be out for two weeks, then sit for the two weeks and it's all good. It's better than missing him for the whole season. Don't rush coming back. Take a little break. And, you know, obviously by him saying he's fine, it means it's nothing serious. Just a few games. He'll be back. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with how everything went yesterday. And God, don't you just love Oma Akatuba? He's He's literally one of my favorite people to chat with, man. He's he's always great. He's always giving me information and he's always open to like seemingly the public, you know, responding to people and we chat a lot and he's a good person, very good person. So, anytime there's something going on with Victor, I like to rely on Oma to be quick with the debunking or verifying, you know, whatever it is and and I just love that Victor Osimhen's on our team and 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 that we get that Oma is a great guy. I mean, the, the episode you did with him, I think the first time you spoke to him, we got an appreciation of where he's come from as a journalist. And he's definitely happy to give back now that he's sort of made it in, in that industry. Right. You talked about Osiman's unselfishness. I remember a couple seasons ago where he made a, a similar pass to Lozano to get Lozano a goal, right? And so you know, that's why I get a little bit frustrated when I see some people, very few, most people appreciate everything that Osiman does, but there are a few critics, haters out there that I suspect they're only looking at the goal stats and seeing that he hasn't scored as much as they would like and, and maybe missing all the other stuff that he does. You know, for the first 40 minutes of the match, the part of the match that he played, he was just destroying that, <laughs> that Liverpool back line. He was creating chances. He was getting behind. He won the penalty. And then one thing that I think a lot of people overlook as well is how dominant he is on opposition corner kicks. Like there are so many times where he's the guy that's heading the ball out of the area. Our striker is back there in our own box clearing the danger. So I think when you take the whole thing and, and we talk about this all the time and look at the things he does off the ball, it's okay if he doesn't have as many goals as we would like him to because he contributes in so many other ways. He'll be out for two weeks, which means he'll miss Spezia, he'll miss Rangers, 
and he'll miss Milan. So obviously the Milan match is a big one. Spezia and Rangers, we should be okay for those ones. But then we have the international break. So he'll actually probably get closer to three or four weeks to recover, which I think is a good thing. We do have to acknowledge, though, that the corner kick was really poorly taken. Do you think that was maybe because of this this injury that he's dealing with or was dealing with even before he was taken out? The corner kick. Oh, you mean the penalty kick. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, the penalty. No, the penalty yeah. kick, yeah. Um, it was poorly taken. When the ball was kicked and the Allison made the save, you know, I, I look at my son and we're – my son says he must still be hurt, I think. And I said, yeah, I don't know about that. And, you know, you've got the pressures of, you know, this is a penalty. And, and listen, he has scored in the Champions League before. It's, it was against Chelsea. It was for Lille. So he's done it before. But to do it at home, to do it in, in Naples, to ha- finally be back at the Champions League, which is what he wanted, and you get a penalty, to ma- a second penalty at that. I don't know if maybe we've answered the question of who's taking the penalty kicks or not. You know, he scored one in the preseason, but I don't know. I, I can half contribute it to his being, you know, a little knocked up or half of it with the pressures of, you know, everyone chanting Aussie men, Aussie men, you know, and, you know, he's a young kid still, man. <laughs> he probably got the jitters and I could tell where he was going the whole time. And I knew it was going to get saved when he kicked the ball. So I think, I think a lot of people might've had that feeling, but I'm not going to, you know, sweat it because like you said, man, the guy contributes so much off the ball. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration is the job of a forward or a striker is not only primarily to score goals. Of course, you're going to spend the big bucks to get the goals, but at the same time, they have to do something off the ball. They're not going to have the ball at their feet 90 minutes, you know, they have to do stuff off the ball and what he does off the ball. And you notice he can have a bad match and score a goal or two, or he can have a great match and not get anywhere near goal, you know? And a lot of people just don't look at the other things. The beauty of the match is to see something and go, ah, look at that when the ball's not on their feet, you know? And Victor Osman offers that. So, and you know, uh, Spalletti is very fortunate to be successful with players like him. And, I think that his contributions to this club are a little bit underlooked. And yeah, he'll get a little extra rest. He'll be missed against Milan, but we have the suitable backup in Simeone. And thank God for that, because we can see what Petania is doing at Monza, which is absolutely nothing. He's on my fantasy, and I almost got rid of him today, Joe. (laughs) I went with Sansone instead, because I just don't see him playing that much. But yeah, I mean, I think Simeone is ready for the task that is going to be given to him for these next few matches. Yeah. And we have Raspadori as well. Like this is why we, we improved our depth. You know, we know all the injuries we've had over the last couple of seasons. So this allows us to withstand some of those injuries. Let's move on to Cavada. I mentioned how Osimhen dominated Van Dyke. Cavada completely dominated both Trent Alexander Arnold and especially Joe Gomez. Rafa, despite the pressure of being compared to the likes of Leo Messi and Diego Maradona, I mean, Cavaradona, this kid just keeps on delivering. He does. He does. And, um, you know, I I had a feeling he would, man. I've been saying it all offseason. This kid's going to light up the league. And, and look what he just did in this first Serie A match. I mean, I don't know what was more impressive. You know, his moves all match or... His assist for that third goal to Simeone, 
I just can't come up with where he gets this patience from. You know, the way he handled that ball that was slow rolling to him and the way he held, I was it Gomez, the way he held Gomez back and just waited for the ball to get to where he needed it to be to one time it into to Simeone, who was waiting open. It was just astounding. It was astounding. You know, him and Angisa were like doing pirouettes around this team all game. The only time I get frustrated with Kvadaskelia is sometimes he holds the ball a little bit too much. And I've said that before on the rant. I discussed that with my father at the first tri-state club meet when he said he's a lot like Lavezzi in his first season where Lavezzi was like, you know, dynamic like him, but he held the ball a little bit too much. He's got to get rid of the ball a little bit faster. But I think he's ready. He wants to take on those two defenders. You know, he wants the double team to showcase what he can do. It's just not going to happen all the time. So we have to think about that too, where like every now and then it's going to happen. He's going to break two guys and have someone wide open for him or take a shot, a a magical shot. Like every time I feel like I get frustrated because of that, he does something amazing to like be like, okay, forget, (laughs) forget about that. It's all good. So yeah, man, I, I think A++ for Kvadaskelia in his first, what was it, six matches, you know, officially with Napoli and and just outstanding, outstanding player. And he was on, on a lot of people's lips, including Thierry Henry, which, like I said earlier, impresses me a lot. So they're going to watch out for this kid. And hopefully he doesn't get swooped up by a big club, which uh, would suck. But, you know, let's appreciate him now as we have him. Exactly. There was one dribble he made about midway through the first half where he literally looked like Maradona the way he was just eluding tackles. He only played about 55 minutes, but he did so much during that time. He was involved in all but the third goal. He made the run on the wing before setting up Zielinski on the penalty kick that was awarded in the first few minutes. He pressed Gomez to win the ball back in Liverpool's half and then eventually passed the ball off to Nguisa, who then played the give and go with Zielinski on that goal. He made the dribble around Trent Alexander-Arnold before out-muscling Gomez, as you referred to, mm-hmm. um, before he assisted on the third goal. And that's one thing, not that I like to compare Cavada to Insigne, but he does have different characteristics. And one of them is his size and strength. Like, I don't think Insigne would have been out-muscling a center back on a play like that, whereas that's something that Cavada offers. And in general, he's just extremely confident. You know, his Champions League debut and he's running at defenders who played in the Champions League final last season and trying these these moves. So, yeah, some and, won the Champions League a few years back, you know, and, exactly. And, so, and yeah, the, just one last thing about Kvaratskhelia is that the way he just sort of looks comfortable doing it too. I mean, the pressures of having your first Champions League match is is big. It's big, and every single player that played in their first Champions League match yesterday against Liverpool, of all teams, Liverpool, exceeded so many expectations. And I couldn't be prouder of this team. I could not be prouder of this team and their structure, their work, their togetherness, their focus, their determination, their strength, their everything. Everybody played, like we were talking, if we could give a beast to the match to everyone, we would give it to everyone. And I, I truly believe that. I truly do. And Kvadaskelia, just absolutely fantastic player. And we're lucky to have him. We are. And like you said, hopefully he can stay a while, but let's appreciate him while we have him at the very least. The last player I want to talk about is Alex Meret in goal. 
Raf, we were all pretty down on Marat heading into this season. I think a lot of people still are. Do you sense that his confidence has been growing from match to match? I do. I do. And I've said this before myself. Obviously, everybody was excited at the prospect of getting a, another keeper in here, Kaylor Navas or Kepa or whoever, anyone but Medet, right? Right, Joe? And my goodness, has he really just kind of just come, come of a, like he, I think this is what he needed. What he needed was to be the number one keeper without a shadow of a doubt. Because ever since he's been with Napoli, he came in with Ospina. So there was always sort of like, you you could tell someone till they're blue in the face, oh, you're my number one, you're my number one. But when you have a keeper of that quality behind you, you really, it kind of messes with your psyche. And I think that's something that Meta deals with. I think he's got a, a psychological thing as to where, you know, he was saying things like he wants to leave if Navas comes in and he wanted to be that number one. So when the club failed to close the deal on Kaylor Navas and he knew, okay, it's my time to shine. He has stepped up in my opinion. I don't think a single goal that we've given up this year has been ultimately like his fault. There's been some shaky times, you know, just because we're very uneasy with him. But man, yesterday, didn't he just really come through? The goal they gave up, like I said, was we were coming, <laughs> we were celebrating our fourth goal, man. They just got us by surprise. Nothing you could really do about it. But he's come up with some big saves. And I, I have to give it to him. I think I'm back on the meta train. A part of me knew that, like I said, if he got this role and it was an undoubted role, that he would shine to an extent like the season's not over let's see what happens but it's built a confidence inside of him that i think is back and i think we are going to see a different alex medet this season uh, hopefully he keeps it going the sign for me that his confidence was growing was how many times he came off his line to whether it was to punch right out, you know, right. punch out a corner or to to catch a, a cross in the area he had his david ospina moment as well where he he went down with uh you know the sort of fake oh yeah and killed some time there <laughs> um yeah i thought he made a couple of really good saves in the match one on the header from van dyke in the first half and then the header from luis diaz in the second half diaz was like the only player who played really well for liverpool and right that's why I'd, I don't blame Medad for that goal either, because I think, you know, that shot's dipping, it's curling. That's a tough save for, for any keepers. I know some of our friends think that a world-class goalkeeper might have stopped that, just like there's a canny shot in the Lazio match. But five goals in two matches, two clean sheets, he stopped a penalty kick. That's a pretty strong start, I think, for Medet. Now, of course, a lot of the credit has to go to our back line. We don't have much time left to talk about the back line, but Kim, Rachmani, Di Lorenzo, they were all phenomenal in this match as well. Like you said, you could probably give the Beast of the Match award to pretty much every player who who played in this match. And I think as long as that back line is playing well, we should be just fine with Meret in goal. Raf, we're just about out of time, but any final thoughts before I let you go? No, Joe, just that, you know, it, it, we move on, you know, and, and it was an important win. It's not over. We have to play five more matches in the Champions League group stage. Just like how the Liverpool guys were saying, listen, it's one match. Let's get over it. Let's move on to Ajax, which is not going to be easy for them as well. They won 4-0 against Rangers. But we play Rangers at Ibrox next. That's going to be a lot of fun. I believe Henry Bell will be at that match. And 
I'm very excited for the Champions League this season. I think something special is going to come of it. I, I'm not going to predict how far we're going to go, but I think as far as the Champions League goes, and this is what we're talking about today, look for Napoli to do something really well, really, really good. I'm very excited to see what happens next week. And um, no, that's really it for me, man. Excellent. Yes, Spalletti said after the match as well that kind of the same thing, that we can't now lose our focus and be so caught up in this performance that we don't play well in the next one. So that's definitely something they have to, you know, that's part of mental strength as well as being able to not just get over tough losses, but also to get over really big wins like this and, and not let your guard down. So you can find Rafa on Twitter at Rafa Napoli 83. You can find the Napoli rant at Napoli rant, and you can find the far from Vesuvius network at far from Vesuvius. If you head over there, you can find all the other great content that Rafa and the FFV crew are putting out. That includes in the shadow of Vesuvio with Henry and Michele from end to eye with Henry and Kirsten and a brand new show on Twitch with Ken Freddy called cafe with Ken. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti five, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli pod. I will be back after the Spezia match. I'm not going to do a full preview. I just, Need to catch my breath. There's just too many games. Too I think quickly. we all do, Joe. <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah, but, we but, can, you, but but let's continue to sing, right, Joe? Let's continue to sing for the rest. Absolutely, of this, this we're going to keep singing. Uh, you can still find a full preview on ForzaNapoliPress.com. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Podcast Network.